Let's take a moment and pray as we hear God's word this morning, huh? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have let the gospel get passed down to us. We would be lost without it. We pray that your word, uh, that we would hear it diligently and earnestly this morning, and that as we hear your word, that we would be renewed and revived to live a gospel life, to live a life that is uh, driven and, and shaped by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us know that deeply. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So not long after I came to Otsego, I had the chance to meet with the mayor. And I, uh, I met with the mayor. We had a cup of coffee together. I asked her about doing ministry and, and serving in this town. And she said, most likely the best piece of advice I could give you is just be you. Just, just be yourself. Be you. We're not trendy people around here. Just be you. When was the last time that you were told, be you, or be yourself? Turn to the person nearby you and, and tell them, when was the last time you were told to be yourself? Be you is probably the most common piece of advice that we give to high school students or to to college students, college graduates especially, as they try to figure out some of their first jobs and their, their, their direction in life. And, and to Americans, be you means so much more than simply um, be yourself and in the end everything will work out okay. One commentator, one journalist said that be you means that you should have the courage, have the courage to honor your character, your intellect, your inclinations, and yes, your soul, by listening to its clear, clean voice instead of following the muddied messages of a timid world. What we mean, many Americans mean by be you is listen to what comes from inside you and, and don't listen to what's out there because that's just going to make a mess of your life. And, and we might feel like that very often as we go through politics, uh, relationships, and a lot of other challenging situations. And the Bible kind of tells us the same thing, but it tells us the same thing with a much greater nuance, much greater depth. It's a lot richer. For example, St. Paul writes to the people in Colossae, he says, He, Jesus, is who we proclaim so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. You know what that means? What Paul is saying there is we preach, we talk about Jesus so that you can grow up to be you. Paul's work is that you would become the person you're supposed to be, that you would be you. Uh, in, in another place, Paul writes to the people in Philippi and he tells them, I want to get to the post-resurrection body. I want to attain the resurrection of the dead. I want to become the person that I'm supposed to be. Uh, and so we can say God wants you to be you, but the Bible just says it to us in a much, a much deeper, a much richer, a more nuanced and complex way. And so today, as we wrap up the last here of our studies on, on how a church, a gathering of believers, is a place that we are welcomed home to, it's a place that we can really call home, uh, we want to take a look at how God lets each of us become the people he wants us to be. And we're going to take a look at, at three things. First, what makes us free? What sets us free so we can become the people we need to be? Secondly, 
how we can get set free, and then third, how we can stay free and become the people we're supposed to be. So let's take a look at those three things. So first of all, um, the main passage for today's lesson, it's, it's one I think it's pretty well known to a lot of us. Jesus says it this way. He says, if you hold to my teachings, then you will, uh, then you will really be my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, that's a pretty famous sentence. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Uh, whether you're a person who calls a church your home or not, you probably know that sentence. Uh, because that's in the basis of a lot of Western thinking. The truth will set you free. It's the root of a lot of our stories, a lot of our narratives that you and I need to face are deep and dark and kind of scary monsters. And it's only as we face the truth that we will be set free. Uh, let me give us just one example to think about. There's a psychologist um, named Edna Foa. Edna Foa, maybe some of you heard of her. She was one of Time's top 100 people a few years back. And she's famous, she's well known because of her specific kind of therapy. She practices what we would call immersive expulsion therapy. Immersive expulsion therapy is a, a therapy in which she asks her clients to relive their, their deepest, darkest, scariest moments and to face their monsters in very specific, uh, almost graphic detail. She works primarily with women who suffer from various degrees of post-traumatic stress syndrome. And what she do, does is she'll, she'll bring them into her office uh, and she talks with them and, and she says, okay, tell me what happened. Tell me what happened in total detail. Uh, I want to know the, the sights and the sounds and the smells. You need to go back and you need to relive every detail of that traumatic experience. It sounds horrifying, doesn't it? It sounds pretty, pretty terrible, but, but it's, it's demonstra demonstrably clinically beneficial. It, it works almost all the time because she says two things happen. First of all, the women get a chance to confess whatever they're feeling, you know, the guilt and the shame and the regret and all of the things that get tied into it. And, and we know that confession is really good for the soul. The other thing that happens is that the path from sickness to wellness or from brokenness to wholeness, you know, the path from point A to point B always involves obstacles. And, and most of us want to avoid the obstacles. We want to go around the hard stuff in life. And, and what she says is, no, you've got to face the obstacles. You've got to plow through it. You have to face those deep and dark and scary monsters. Only that truth will set you free. So that's the, the first thing that we need to see today. What makes us free is the truth. We would probably have to do five or ten more examples and, and evidence to convince you, to show you that this is really the case. I bet most of you right now are, are saying, I don't know, Pastor. I mean, I feel pretty free even without the truth. I don't need the truth. In fact, I bet most of you, you disagree. And even if you're saying to me, yeah, I agree with you, Pastor. Only the truth sets you free. I'm pretty sure that push comes to shove. Most of you would say, no, the truth constrains me. 
The truth creates conflict in me. The truth forces me to feel things that I don't want to feel. The, the truth makes me afraid. It's scary. It's hard. Uh, just take one simple example. I open up my budgeting app, and I see that my credit card payment went through. Does that truth make me free? No! Right? I'm angry and I'm sad. I'm broke again. <laughs> I wake up in the morning. I wake up an hour or two before all of my, my, the rest of my family. And, and an hour later or so, I, I hear two sets of feet patter down the stairs. Uh, and my kids come in and they say, good morning. What's for breakfast? The truth is, is they're hungry. Right? Does that truth set me free? No, I was deep into my second cup of coffee and page 45 of a great book. I don't want to get them breakfast for the 5,000th day in a row when I have no idea what to make. That truth doesn't set me free. It constrains me. It forces me. It, creates, it brings out the inner conflict in my life. One more example. Um, I've played piano since I was, I don't know, nine or something like that. I should be a lot better for as many years as I've played. Uh, and I, I took lessons for quite a few years, hoping to get a, a little bit better. But by the time I was 13 or 14, you know, no teenager wants to play piano. It's not cool, uh, especially no teenage boy. However, I, I did, part of me, one, on, on the one hand, part of me wanted to excel at playing piano. It was, it was beautiful. I wanted to make wonderful music that, that engaged people's minds and hearts, that made them happy, made them cry, made them laugh, all of those wonderful things. And I was, I was not that good, but I was kind of on the way. Um, on the other hand, I desperately wanted my friends to like me, and playing piano is the furthest thing from being cool when you're in grade school or early high school. Uh, I wanted to belong, I wanted them to accept me, and, and to do that I needed to quit and play sports. Uh, and so you could sense I, I was going through some pretty deep conflict. I, I was very conflicted. 14, I started out that year playing piano. I took a couple lessons in the fall, and I tell mom, all right, mom, I'm done. No more of this. Uh, and my mom, she must have talked to my dad, because a couple of days later, she came back to me, and she said, all right, here's the deal. I will pay for the lessons, like I normally do, and I will pay you, I will pay you to take piano for the year. Whoa. I can still remember the day after that when I had to go to the lesson. Um, I was fairly resolved in the van I, I, that I, I didn't really know what to do, but we, I thought I'd try it. And so we, we drove up to the house, and I still am pretty sure I could find that house. Um, I, I went into the lesson. I, I didn't walk on air, you know, it wasn't like all of a sudden deciding to take piano that year uh, set me free and I could walk on air. Uh, I, I didn't have the best lesson of my life. I wasn't a, a star and playing Chopin all of a sudden. And I, I didn't walk away from that day and, and have the spirit and the vigor to practice piano every day of my life after that. But it, something did change because I stuck with it. I started playing in high school. Then I started playing in, in churches. And, and when I got into choir, I, it was easy to sing because I could read any, any music. And then, you know, now I can fill in at peace when we want to have uh, somebody else play. So, it, you know, it set me on a path. It really set me free to explore a whole new thing. And I didn't realize then what my mom did for me. I was 14. I thought, basically, she's bribing a teenager. 
But today, when I look back on that, I think to myself and I see, wow, my mom did an incredible thing for me. Because basically what she said to me is, I see that you're conflicted. I see that you are stuck between two desires, and I see that you desperately want a place where you can belong and be safe and become the person that, that you could be. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy you out of your conflict. The only thing teenage boys want more than being cool is money. And, and so I will buy you out of your conflict. Then you can always say, you've got a great excuse. You're totally free to do whatever you think you should. Uh, and I will guarantee that you are safe, that you have a, a place, a home. If you ever wondered whether or not you belong here, I'm going to pay you because buy you out. Now you can for sure call this place home. And do you hear what Jesus says to you and to me today? He says to us, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What Jesus does for you and for me my mom did it just a little bit, but what Jesus does for you and for me, he does it so much more. He looks at each one of us and he says, I, I see that you're deeply in conflict. You want a place to belong, uh, and yet you, you want to succeed. You want to bring value to other people's lives. You want to love and be loved all at the same time. And these things, they're, they're hard to all do at once. They put you in deep conflict, and then the truth presses on you. And Jesus says, I'm going to set you free from your conflict. I will become enslaved for you. I will be enslaved to human desires and human will. I will push, put myself beneath the will of all humanity so that when I am nailed to the cross, sin and death and the devil, those truths of your lives will nail me to it and then you can finally be free. No longer will sin and death rule over you. Instead, I will be your truth. I will become your truth, and you will be set free. Friends, right, you and I, we are always going to have deep conflict within us in this life. We're going to have competing desires that are pushing on us. The path out of those is not running away from the truth. It's, it's swapping the truths of sin and death and the devil out and instead letting the truth of Jesus Christ be the thing that we see more and more. And the more the truth of Jesus and his victory is your truth, the more you will experience his freedom. That's our, our, our next takeaway today. The more our truth is Jesus and his victory over sin and death and the devil, the more we will know his freedom. And not only is that the way to get free, that's the way to stay free. The gospel says this to you and me. The gospel says that, that Jesus Christ is the only legitimate child of God. This verse, you heard it. He says, a son belongs to it forever. None of you, none of me, none of us, we're not sons naturally in God's house. We are illegitimate children of God. 
But Jesus says, I'm a legitimate child of God and I will give up my place in the house of God so that you can become a legitimate child of God. And what this means is that you and I, we're going to spend our whole lives, the way to stay free and become who we are supposed to be is to constantly say to ourselves, Father, I don't deserve to call you Father, but because of Jesus, I get to call you Father. I get to call you Father and I get to use everything in my life for your good. That's the way that you and I become true children of God, become the people that we are supposed to be. Now, this is going to be incredibly hard for us, right? Really hard. We're going to have to confront these deep and dark and kind of scary monsters, all of the truths in our lives that keep us from calling God our Father. You have some sin that you love that sticks with you all the time, bitterness or anger or slander. You can't keep that around and call God your Father, and so you have to face that. You have to say, I don't deserve because of this to call you Father, but I get to because of Jesus. We've got to hold on to that teaching. So here's an example, right? Let's, let's just take this example. Let's imagine that you are a person that, that doesn't have a whole lot of hope usually in life. You have a tendency to believe that the, the world is falling apart, that things are going terribly, and that God doesn't really uh, care or, or watch over you. So now imagine that you're going through life like a person on M89 and an M40 driving from Richland all the way to Holland. You've got this windy two-lane road that goes through a bunch of little towns the whole way. And, and you're that person driving on this road. That's your life, okay? So you inevitably, what happens? You get stuck behind a truck, don't you? Uh, and, and you're going through the turns and the curves and the hills all the way from Richland to Holland, and, and you're stopping at the stoplights, and you keep thinking to yourself, I wish I could see around this truck, because even if it was an illegal passing zone, I'd pass anyway because I just need to get to Holland. Uh, you start to say to yourself, I don't, I don't know if life's going to turn out, right? I don't know if I'm going to be able to get all these errands done. I don't know if I'm going to get to my destination and if everything is going to work out. This whole thing might fall apart. You and I have a linear view of life. All you can see is the truck and the 15 feet on the side of the truck. And don't you wish that you had an aerial view of life? That there was somebody or something over your life that could tell you, hey, yeah, it's clear for the next five miles around the truck. You can just drive around and take your jolly good time and it'll all be okay. You're, you're totally safe. What the Bible is, is, is the Bible is God's aerial view of your life. If you've got one of these things, right, this is God's way of saying to you, do this, don't do this. If you're a person who tends not to have hope, the Bible is, is God's way of saying to you, I know that you can't see a way through the conflict that you're going through with your coworker. But I want you to know that Jesus is on the other side of every conflict. If you're a person who tends to see that the world is just going from bad to worse and it's all going to hell in a handbasket, the Bible is God's way of saying to you, heaven and earth are going to pass away but my words will never pass away. 
If you're a person who says, I I feel like I'm never going to succeed in life, I'm giving up on all hope because nothing is ever going to work out, God in the Bible is saying to you, look, if, if I took an unremarkable Jewish man from an unremarkable Jewish town who did mostly little normal things in his life except for a few remarkable acts here and there, and I used him to change the world, and of course that person is Jesus, if I did that, imagine what I could do for you because of him. The Bible is God's way of saying, do this, don't do this, treat people this way, use your money this way, and, and, and use your sexual life this way. Do all of these things. Hold to my teaching. And can you imagine if you and I would just submit to his aerial view of, his, of our lives, who we might become? If you would let his word have full reign and free rule over your lives, who might you be? Finally, God would be able to make us into the people that he, he created us to be, the people that in Jesus he has redeemed us to be, and the people that he is sanctifying you and I to be by the Holy Spirit. I don't think I could say it any better than... Um, then John Newton, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he said this. He said, Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined apart no more. To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. Can it get any better than that? your home, where you and I are free to be the people God made us to be. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the awesome word that you have given us this morning, that you have set us free by this great truth. We pray that your truth would rule and reign over our lives so we are free to become the people that you want us to be. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.